It is good to see you all this evening. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth as we continue our journey uh, through this important text of Scripture that is often uh, passed over. We want to spend some time here uh, this evening in doing uh, that where we dig into a unique passage uh, that is somewhat unique because we're kind of anxious to get on to the next part of the story. But Samuel doesn't do that. He stops and he pauses with us as we begin to work our way through. And as he pauses, we have a chance then to pause. And we're going to handle this bit of text here in Ruth chapter 3 a little bit differently than we've been handling other texts as we've unfolded and unpacked the narrative. Uh, today we're going to be looking at s several key characteristics or attributes that all of us must have as believers. And if you are interested in marriage and you're looking to marriage, you should be looking for these characteristics and attributes in the one that you are looking to marry. And vice versa, if you are those who already are married, you are looking to establish and build these characteristics up in your spouse as well as in your own life. And so there's a lot for all of us to glean. There's seven characteristics we're going to see in a moment. But we recognize that we live in different and changing times than uh, we perhaps have seen even just recently. In fact, according to uh, some research that was done, the Pew Research uh, did some statistical work and they discovered that 30% of people of all ages have used online dating apps to find their spouse. 30%. Uh, I found that kind of interesting, a little high perhaps, but then the next number really uh, speaks to it. It says, in ages 18 to 29-year-olds, they are the highest percentage of those who have, of course, they would be. And in that demographic, 53% had used dating apps to find their spouse. So things have changed. Uh, things are different than they used to be. Uh, one of the key selling points of the dating apps is that they can plug your information into an algorithm and out pops someone who is compatible for you. Isn't that a dangerous word, compatible? We're going to highlight that a little bit tonight, and I'm drawing it out for that purpose, and this illustration is for that purpose. It's interesting to me because it's also been reported that up to 90% of dating profiles on dating apps lie in them. So how do you plug false data into an algorithm and out pops a compatible partner? That's the question. In fact, it does... Uh, it, it does find its illustration in this. 52% of people using dating apps believe that they have come across scam profiles as well. Now, before we're too harsh on all of that, we recognize that it is a different day and age. And in fact, there is a strong likelihood that somebody that you were interested at whenever that time was in your life, when you would uh, try to present yourself to them and they to you, they probably lied about themselves. I also saw an interesting statistic done. It was an unofficial statistic. There was uh, the question of, do men uh, overstate their height? Boy, that was an interesting one. Do men overstate their height? And the question was asked to the man as he was walking past, how tall are you? And he would say, almost always six foot. I don't know what it is about six foot, but almost always six foot. And so the question was, do you mind if we measure you right now? So before we're too harsh on those who are using dating apps, we remember and are mindful that many of those that we come in contact with 
are probably lying about something in themselves, whether they're using a dating app or they're in face-to-face conversations. And so I don't think we see much of a difference between the two. And I'm not issuing a judgment on the use of dating apps. In fact, there is nothing in God's Word that says how we should go about searching for our mate. But there is plenty in the Word of God that speaks about what we should be looking for in our mate. And that's what we're going to be looking into uh, this evening. And we learn some of those things from Boaz and Ruth as they're going to help us navigate even these interesting times, having uh, been thousands of years before us, they're going to help us navigate these interesting times as well. Consider the fact that a biblical view of marriage is not so much about compatibility as it is about character. And now we get to the heart of what we find here in the text before us. Uh, Scripture is more about character and complementing than compatibility. This means that there are differences that God has built into us that need to be ironed out. In fact, you are going to be most likely very different from your spouse. And he put us together to develop sharpening perspectives and thought processes and balances that cause us to think more biblically. If Boaz and Ruth had a checklist of things for the perfect spouse, they would have never been compatible. Imagine Boaz typing away on his computer And he's putting in all of his characteristics as far as the world is concerned, the compatibility characteristics, and he puts in, yeah, landowner. Okay, wealthy landowner. And the next one, age, whatever. Uh, Looks, he didn't add any of that. We don't know what he looked like. Uh, Then you can imagine Ruth doing the same thing. And as you go through... Uh, the lists wouldn't be at all similar. You have Boaz, who is a Jew, practicing, faithful, following the Almighty God, and Ruth, who is a Moabite. Boaz, who is wealthy, Ruth, who is abjectly poor. Boaz, who has never been married, as far as we know, and Ruth, who is widowed. Boaz, who has been faithful and is a man of character and high value throughout the age of the judges. Ruth, who grew up on the other side of the Jordan River and was found by Elimelech's son and brought over across the Jordan River when the grass was greener now on the other side. There's a lot of differences from traditions, backgrounds, and demographics that would have all been labeled as compatibility studies. And so if the algorithm were to churn out the compatibility, then Boaz and Ruth never would have interacted together. But they had several things in common, several things that were vitally important to their character. First, there was a commitment to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And Jacob. There was a genuine character that followed in God's direction. In fact, from their love story and especially their brief encounter at the threshing floor, which we're going to see uh, this evening, we can easily make several observations about their genuine character. And it is that genuine character that we're going to build upon to say we all must have these seven things to be true of us. And they very especially need to be true of those that we consider as a mate. They will also serve as a wonderful set of goals for married people to pursue with each other and to sharpen in each other on a day-to-day basis. 
This list is not for someone else to match as it is for us to mirror. And so the scene at the threshing floor provides seven character qualities in the life of Boaz and Ruth. And we're going to work all the way through them as we see the keys to a godly relationship. We're going to begin in verse 10. We studied verse 10 last week. We're going to look back because we studied it more from Ruth's perspective last week. Now we're going to look at it from Boaz's perspective and go through verse 17. The scripture says this in the last Lord's blessing. Scripture says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it uh, on her. Then she went into the city. And when she had come to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Let us ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we have the joy of studying a passage tonight that we're going to view a bit differently than some of these others that we have studied in the book of Ruth and the way that we go about unpacking the details here as we look into the characteristics of godliness that we see in Ruth and in Boaz. Lord, we do pray that you would allow us to, with clarity, understand these characteristics that we would help or that we would see them in our own lives and foster them, causing them to grow all the more, that we would rely upon you for the help that we need to guide and direct in that endeavor. Lord, we do pray for those who are here tonight that are looking ahead towards marriage, and uh, maybe it's down the road a ways, but they're looking forward to that day, and we just ask that you would give them clarity as well, recognizing the character traits that they should be following and looking for in a future spouse. Lord, we also pray that you would give all of us wisdom in applying And learning what we have uh, to make a real part of each of us tonight. That we would do that with obedience and diligence. That your name would be glorified in all that we say and do. So Lord, we pray that you would give me the words to speak. That they would be from you. And that you would use this text to challenge and encourage us towards godliness. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to go through. You see these in your... Bulletin. We're going to go through and spend just a couple minutes on each of them. I used to, uh, when I was in Bible college, we would take homiletics, which was the class that taught us uh, preacher boys how to preach. And uh, I remember in that class that we would have the instruction of having an outline with either two, three, and no more than four points. Tonight you have seven. So we're applying a little bit. What I found was interesting is we'd go to homiletics class right after chapel. The president of the school would lead chapel every Wednesday. And every Wednesday he would uh, present to the student body a message. And not one time did I ever count 
in his outline two, three, or more or less than four points to his sermon. Every single time, it was far more than four. So I'm just following the lead of those who have invested into me. Uh, I remember one time he had 15 points and 20 minutes to deliver them. Uh, that was like speed racing right there. That was a lot of fun to, to see him squirm to try to get all those in. We have seven tonight, and the first one is spirituality. Spirituality. What is the characteristic that provides a, a quality that we should follow? The first is spirituality. Notice, we're going back to verse 10. We're going to pick up a couple of these out of verse 10. And the scripture there says, and he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Remember, this is the exchange that happens as Ruth has come to the threshing floor. It's late. It's the middle of the night. The party has gone on because of bringing in the barley. The harvest is now completed. There's celebration. Uh, We just, if you happen to be at the Hudsonville Fair this week, that's what the same kind of thing was. It's a celebration of the end of the harvest season. The crops have been brought in, especially the grain crops of wheat and barley have been brought in, and there's a celebration over the labor that has gone into that and the bounty that the Lord has given to the people of Israel. And so that's the celebration that is going on. And as that celebration is happening, we still have Boaz, who is diligent. He's guarding the barley that has been now winnowed out, and it's still there on the threshing floor, and he's gone to sleep with his feet out, kind of in a spoke, the barley in the middle, his feet out from there, and Ruth has come and removed the blanket from his feet and then laid down for him to wake up. And as he does so, he stirs, he's stirring and turned over, verse 8, and there's a conversation that begins between he and Ruth. As Ruth proposes to him, recognize and remember that this was the appropriate way because she was in need of a kinsman redeemer. And so the ball was in her court. Now she's put it back into Boaz's court, and it's his responsibility now to take it and choose what he would do with it. It's no secret as we look into Boaz's faith, as we've studied it throughout our meeting of him since the beginning of chapter 2, there's no secret that Boaz is a man of godliness. But when we look at the character traits, we recognize where Samuel draws out a character trait of the spirituality of Boaz. He wakes up, he hears what Ruth has to say, and the relationship that he and Ruth are going to have both before this and after this is going to rest on the foundation of all seven of these qualities, but specifically and most importantly, the spiritual faith in the things of God. So Boaz rests there. The foundation to any relationship is a faith in the one true God. When Boaz is first proposed to, his first response is this statement of, may you be blessed by the Lord. Immediately, Boaz speaks, and the first words out of his mouth, as we looked into last week, were those which spoke of who God is and the character of godliness. This wasn't an act. It wasn't Boaz acting like a follower of the one true God. This was reality. Boaz had a vital, active, living, walking, breathing relationship with God. 
This was foundational. This was the most important. This is where he began and where we all must begin. It's here. Scripture says, Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. This was practiced by Boaz. This was practiced by Boaz. This is also the basis of every wedding that I perform. It starts here. I usually will bring in a couple and between five to six counseling sessions, we begin to prepare for marriage. And in preparing for marriage, each of those sessions is filled with what is their relationship with the Lord like? What does God say about this subject that we're talking about? And then when it comes time for the marriage ceremony, what is the relationship that you have with Christ? And then the invitation to those who are sitting there to join in that relationship with Christ. This is the fundamental early building block, the foundational building block of every relationship, and it is based solely on who do you serve. It really doesn't take long for you to discover whether a person is sincerely walking with Christ or not. Uh, seven quick questions. Do they talk about the Lord? If they never talk about Him, they probably don't have a very close relationship with Him. Do they want to please the Lord? Do they live for the Lord? Do they encourage you to follow the Lord? Do, or have you rather, ever seen them reading their Bible? Do they love the church? Do they want others to hear the gospel? Let me flip that and now ask, are those seven questions true of you? They should be true in those that we have relationships with, especially close relationships, not just marital relationships, but close relationships, business partners and so forth. But are these true of you? Do you talk about Christ? Do you want to please Christ? Do you live for Christ? Do you encourage others to follow Christ? Have you ever been caught reading your Bible? We should be caught reading our Bible. Do you love the church? Do you want others to hear the gospel? You say, well, I do all, all, all seven of those but one. I'll leave one out because yeah, the church, you know, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. No, do you love the bride of Christ? Do you love the church? A genuine spiritual desire for God and the things of God is more than attending church on Sunday. If that's all you know about the other person's spiritual side, then you probably should slow the relationship down until you know more about them. We recognize that the key characteristic, the foundational characteristic in a healthy biblical relationship is spirituality. Are they following the things of the Lord? Next, in Boaz, we see humility. Boaz demonstrates humility, and we looked into this in verse 10. It's a unique statement that Boaz makes. It is both a statement of Ruth's purity, but it's also a statement of Boaz's humility. Verse 10 again, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor 
or rich. That's kind of a fascinating statement. I find it fascinating because it does speak of Ruth's purity. She didn't just come into the land and go seek after a husband, any, any husband, and do whatever it took to get a husband. And I think Boaz is speaking to that. I kind of highlighted that last Sunday. But it's also a statement about Boaz's humility. This second statement, the second part of verse 10, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. Like Ruth, we're not given a physical description of Boaz. We don't know if he was tall, short. We don't know if he had ruggedly handsome good looks or boyish features. We have no idea. We don't know what he looks like. But we do know something about his wealth. He is a man of great means. He has servants who are working for him, and evidently a number of servants. So he is a man of great wealth, and he is a landowner. But notice what he says to Ruth. He's truly humbled that Ruth chose him. Did you catch that, verse 10? He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after the other young men, whether rich or poor. Boaz is humbled that Ruth would choose him. Let's step back. We know that Boaz is a wealthy landowner with many servants. Ruth is a destitute foreign widow with no status and a strong potential for scorn. Remember why? Because if she has come to Boaz asking for him to be the kinsman redeemer and he refuses to do so, she has the right to take him before the leaders of, the, of Bethlehem and say, he has denied me my right as kinsman redeemer. So there could be scorn. But Boaz who evidently is the most eligible bachelor in Bethlehem from everything that we've seen to this point, speaks with humility to Ruth. What a stark contrast to nearly every man in the worldly man that you meet today. You watch them walk past, these young men walk past, and uh, you don't see humility, you see arrogant pride. Look how strong I am. Look how tall I am. Look how witty I am. But nearly every time that Boaz speaks, he speaks with humility. He speaks with calculated humbleness. Beloved, may that quality be your quality. Let's take it out of the relationship because we have a lot of dynamics going on here. This is a character quality formed in Boaz before Ruth was on the scene. We're just identifying it. Ruth is helping us see it in him. But this was a quality that was Boaz's before the relationship with Ruth began. We see it early on. From the very first moments that we began to meet Boaz, we see this character quality of humility. May you and I have the same character quality of humility. May we not be arrogant, prideful. Years ago, when my parents moved out to a farm, we had chickens, and we never do anything small. We always do, growing up, we always did things big. We, we never had chickens before, never raised a chicken at all. So one day, my dad comes home 
with 120 chicks. We never had a chicken before. So 120 of them, and they're all frying chickens, so we're going to raise them and we're going to butcher them. So instead of butchering them slowly, let's butcher them all on the same day. That's the way we did things as a family. That's just how we did things. But out of those, we had three, uh, remember they're friars, we had three that were full-fledged roosters. And the neighbor had a Bantam rooster. You know what the Bantam roosters are. The, the regular roosters are about this big. A Bantam rooster is about this big. Very small. And our three roosters would uh, be very annoying. They were all kind of half roosters, if you know what I mean, and all friars. They weren't quite uh, all there anymore. And so uh, they, they grew all the way up. We got ready to butcher them, but these three roosters were annoying, and they would chase everything else around. But the Bantam rooster from the neighbors would come over and beat up on our three big roosters. And he would strut around back and forth. That is a good picture of a lot of people today, is it not? Chest puffed out, feathers all flirted out. That is very different than Boaz. Boaz was humble. Boaz also had his priorities. Oops, moved ahead too far. Boaz had his priorities straight as well. Notice in this priority, Boaz knows what matters. Continue on as we begin to read here of what he says in verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy, or your translation may say virtuous, woman. Boaz has his priorities right. He says of Ruth that she is a worthy woman. We've talked about this before. Nowhere in the text do we get a description of the physical attributes of Ruth. Evidently, she was beautiful, at least to Boaz, because he noticed her. But nowhere in the text are we told of her physical attributes. Nowhere in the text are we told that she was even beautiful. We're not told that. Boaz in this text does not say, Oh, Ruth, you've come to me. You're such a beautiful woman. You have such a sweet personality. And by the way, we like the same kind of roasted grain as one another. (laughs) He doesn't speak to any of those issues. He says, You are a worthy woman. Boaz looked to her character. It was not compatibility. It was not that they both liked to eat at the same restaurants. It was that Ruth had a character trait of worthiness. He actually uses the same word that speaks to noble character. It's the same word translated in Proverbs 31 as virtuous. It's the same word. The Hebrew adjective refers to a person of high moral strength. He looked at Ruth 
And despite the fact that she was a Moabite, despite the fact that she had lived in a foreign land all of her life until recently, he looked at Ruth and said, your commitment to Naomi and to the God of Naomi, when you said that Naomi's God would be your God, you meant it and you've lived it out and it has radically transformed your life. You are a woman of high moral standing. You are a virtuous woman. And not only did Boaz know it, but so did all of Bethlehem. Boaz and Ruth are seemingly incompatible in just about every conceivable way except their character. And Boaz placed priority on character. So he understood the priority and he understood it well. And then we continue on in the text, we continue into verse 12 and we notice another element because things seem to be going very, very well, do they not? Uh, here in the middle of the night conversation, they've gone from a uh, liking relationship, a, a relationship that has been filled with good conversations, a few meals together, the walking back and forth from the field perhaps, and some glances at one another. Clearly there's a, a uh, kindred spirit here, a loving relationship that is beginning to be fostered here. Clearly those things are going on. But now it's taking the next step. Now it's saying, Boaz, will you marry Ruth? Everything seems to be going well till verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. <coughs> What's fascinating to me is that Boaz is honest with the one thing keeping them apart. He's honest about his position. And everything seems to be going so well. But now Boaz says, I will do all that you have asked, but I will not step outside of the law. I will not sidestep the law. I will be honest. There is a closer Redeemer. Boaz is already hooked. Ruth is excited about the future for the first time, likely in a very, very long time. And as this conversation is going on, you could feel the excitement and the tension continuing to increase. There's going to be a marriage soon, and Boaz steps forward and speaks the truth. There is a closer Redeemer than I. He did not try to hide this truth from Ruth. We don't know what Ruth knew and what she did not know. We know that Naomi understands, as she has said it already, that Naomi understands Boaz is a kinsman Redeemer. And likely, Naomi also knew that there was a closer kinsman redeemer we know that boaz understood that but we don't know if ruth understood that can you imagine at this point you have now the range the roller coaster of emotions everything seems to be going so well there's the proposal of marriage and boaz says yes i will do everything that you have asked and probably there's tears of joy streaming down Ruth's face. This is the happiest she's been for a long, long time. And suddenly he says, but... And the tears of joy turn to tears of anguish. What do you mean? There's somebody else in the middle. 
between. Everything had been going so well, but here this news is terrible. In our age, we may have seen Boaz, if he was less than honorable, um, maybe conceal his relationship with Ruth long enough to file a lawsuit. Or uh, he would go find a church someplace that would tell him that the Word of God didn't really mean what the Word of God says it means. We've encountered those. Say, well, yeah, but that, that's okay. If you just, really, it doesn't mean it like that. Or your circumstances are different. I know that's in the, that's in the law. That's in the covenant of the law that was given to Moses. We know the laws of the kinsman redeemer. We know there's one closer, but it, it doesn't really mean that. Boaz refuses to find an alternate route. He's honest, and he's honest immediately with Ruth. He does not lead her on. He does not say, go back to sleep, and in the back of his mind say, there's no way this is going to work, but I'm going to keep it from Ruth. At the first opportunity, he tells Ruth the truth. He is honest with her. We don't know, and I'm guessing because it is the way that it is spelled out in the text here, we don't know that Ruth had any idea of another Redeemer. This may be the first time she's hearing about it. And rather than passing it over, Boaz highlights it and says, it's here. There's a problem, but continue on. Verse 13, he says, Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lay down until the morning. Look for a person with the character qualities of honesty and accountability. Boaz, imagine this. When we read verse 13, it may seem like Boaz is got the emotional fortitude of a concrete wall. Because uh, that's what it looks like. Read it again, verse 13. Remain here tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if not, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Doesn't that sound cold? It's like, wait, here, you've been building up this grand crescendo. Everybody's excited, and you say, oh, there's another redeemer. If he's going to redeem you, fine. That seems kind of cold. That seems like there's no emotion to it. Boaz may seem like a concrete wall to us, that he's not phased by the clear evidence of love between he and Ruth. But we must pay close attention. Because what Boaz does is something you and I must enact as well. And I'm going to put it in the terms of those of you who are looking for a future spouse, listen well. Find someone and become someone who is willing to set aside personal feelings in order to do what is right. Find someone and become someone who is willing to set aside personal feelings in order to do what is right. And if you do, you're well on your way to finding or becoming a man or woman worthy of saying, I do. Now for those of us in a different phase of life. Become someone 
who is willing to set aside personal feelings in order to do what is right. Emotions make bad decisions, especially bad biblical decisions. Boaz has a plan. He hasn't revealed it yet in its entirety, but he says that he's going to go and speak uh, to this individual. He doesn't say how he's going to do it. Remember, Boaz is not an arrogant man. He's also not a man to change the law to fit his feelings. He wasn't trying to figure out loopholes in the covenant of the law to see if there was some way around. And as I said this morning, and I'm going to say it again, our obligation is to do what is right and leave the rest to God. And that is what Boaz does. So when we think of accountability, there's great trust in God's plan and God's direction. And it seems inconceivable to us. How could you say, after all of these weeks of building this relationship, how could you say if the other Redeemer will redeem Ruth that that is okay? Boaz trusts in God's direction. He listens to God's purposes. And he does not try to twist them for his own gain or value. He, has, he lets the law provide his accountability. Well, isn't that different than us today? Many, many, especially outside of the Christian circles, but even many within Christian circles, trying to twist. Well, we know the Bible says this, but it doesn't really mean that. Let's massage it a little bit. Let's change it a little bit, and then this is what it's going to mean. Boaz doesn't do that. Boaz says, this is the law. I'm going to follow the law. And I'm going to let the law be my accountability. I'm going to trust in God's purposes and design. Then we continue on at the end of verse 13. He says, lie down until the morning. This is the very end of verse 13, end of 14. She, so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This is an element of purity. Purity, and you say, well, they seem to be concealing portion here. Well, Boaz is very careful to protect the reputation of Ruth. Ruth was very careful about protecting the reputation of Boaz when she arrived, if you remember from last week. Now, Boaz is busy protecting her reputation. And when nobody knew, the actions that were done when no one else could observe, that is the basis for their character. When no one else knew, when no one else observed, notice their character of purity. Boaz and Ruth did not take advantage of the situation. There's little doubt that Boaz could have taken advantage. They were both deeply in love with each other. They are committed to finding a way to get married to each other. Ruth is clearly vulnerable as a widow. She's expressed her love to him and he to her. What more do they need to do? But there was no advantage taken that night. No solicitation offered. No dismissal of moral standards. This midnight dialogue became an amazing demonstration of purity between these two who loved each other and who loved the Lord. What you have here in Bethlehem this night is two sinners, highly committed to God, choosing to wait in purity to see what God would do. They weren't trying to shortcut it. 
They weren't trying to change it. They were following the directions of the Lord. And they certainly weren't selfish. And we see that now in the final point. Generosity. Notice verses 15 following through verse 17. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave for me. And he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz, despite everything that's going on and everything swirling through his mind at this moment, because in just a few moments, he's going to confront the other kinsman redeemer. But let us not skip ahead in the story, right? That is what we naturally want to do. Let's get to the next point in the narrative, because the next point in the narrative, that's when the action starts happening. That's when the kinsman redeemer is confronted and and he initially says, yes, I will redeem. And then, oh no, if that includes Ruth, I don't want to redeem. So we typically skip ahead in the narrative, but let us not skip over the fact that Boaz demonstrates a considerable amount of generosity here. Boaz remains concerned for not only Ruth, but also Naomi. He does not let Ruth return from the threshing floor to her house empty-handed, but measures out what scholars believe to have been two weeks' worth of grain. He fed Ruth and Naomi for two weeks based upon the conversation that was had at the threshing floor that night. This is generosity. James 1.27 would call this pure religion that he would tend for the needs of the widows and orphans in such a way as Boaz did. It stemmed from the character trait that was established deep within him of following God and God's directives. In a day and age where, as we've studied already, and the end of the book of Judges says that every man did what was right in his own eyes, Boaz stood out from the crowd. The challenge to you and I this evening is stand out from the crowd. May these seven character traits be yours. And for those who are looking for spouses, may those seven character traits be found in the one that you are pursuing. There is a checklist of characteristics that we have studied in this passage rather than compatibility. No algorithm would have chosen Boaz and Ruth. But this list of seven characteristics is far more important and far more defining than any compatibility markers would be. What food you like, what dog you like, what sports you like, what sports teams you like has nothing to do with true characteristics. These are the attributes to pray for in someone else. These are the ones that we should seek to foster in the life of our spouse. At the same time, these observations of genuine character must be pursued by each of us at all costs. Without letting up for the rest of our lives. This is the kind of person to find. This is the kind of person to become. And this is the kind of person to keep.
May we look for these seven qualities in us. May we be able to hold the mirror up and see us in all of those seven qualities. May we be like Boaz as he pours out these qualities. We're preparing to move into chapter 4. And we have one verse left, and that's not being skipped. Uh, we will be looking into it. We have one verse left in chapter 3, and then moving into chapter 4, where we are ramping up to the wedding bells. And ramping up to the wedding bells, uh, we begin to see these character traits lived out in Boaz all the more as he's going to confront the kinsman redeemer. Lord willing, the next time uh, that we are together, uh, that I am with you. And so, we're looking forward to continuing in that study. Write down these seven. I left them for you. I didn't want you to fill any blanks. I wanted you to fill in what the Lord was laying upon your heart to fill in about these seven qualities. Take them home. Measure your own character traits against the character traits of Boaz as he followed after the things of the Lord. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we've had to look into the godly character traits of Boaz. We certainly understand that Boaz wasn't perfect, and so I pray that it would not have been that impression that was left. We certainly understand that times have changed as well. As we think back to, depending on where we are at in our ages, we think back to those early dating relationships, and we know that today the, the challenges of finding a spouse are different than the challenges of finding a spouse, and yet similar in many ways to those in our ages. We praise you that Boaz and Ruth have provided for us these seven character traits that are timeless, that are not bound by the limitations of telephone or internet or uh, horseback, whatever way that we met our spouse. We praise you that these seven character traits are those that stand the test of time as well in our character in following and obeying you. So therefore, Lord, I pray that none of us would leave here today without feeling the sense of uh, the need to continue to pursue and be diligent about the development of and the maintaining of these character traits. May we be those who let your word speak for itself, not trying to twist it or distort it to be massaged to fit our ambition and our desire. May we be those who trust in you and rest in your direction, knowing that as Paul wrote in the book of Romans, that you are working out all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, let us believe that wholeheartedly, knowing that that is not a health, wealth, and prosperity verse, but rather that this is a verse that reminds us that your good is what will be played out in our lives, very different than what we may perceive to be good. We praise you that it is being demonstrated in Boaz and Ruth with uncertainty of the events that will happen in the next several hours and their narrative, but still the unswerving faith of following after you. Or may we follow in that same way. May you receive the glory and the honor with lives lived in purity before you and holiness in the pursuit of knowing you better each and every day. Lord, as we depart from here, we ask your blessing and that we would uh, have a week in which we would reflect on your goodness, that we would live out what we have studied this week, and that your name would be glorified in all that we say and do. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.